There is no one like you. There is no God beside you. And for you deserve all the glory, all the praise. Oh, the presence of the Lord is here this morning. I think the worship team did a great job ministering to us this morning. And really set in the an atmosphere of the Lord definitely spoke about what's on the minds of the people. As we get into the word this morning, before we do that, October 2nd, Sunday, October 2nd, uh, we will be celebrating our 14th year. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord! Bishop Nick Spiller will be with us on that Sunday, so it'll be a day of celebration, October 2nd, 14 years. I've had some people ask me about the, the AC, they wanted to contribute to the repair. Um, if you didn't know, the AC unit on that side went out a while back. Um, they couldn't find an exact unit to fit in there. Uh, the manufacturer told them it would be at least the end of October before a unit was available. So they found another unit that would fit, but they had to do some modifications to not only the mounting system, but to the ductwork up there and on the roof and everything. Luckily, we have a very good landlord that loves us. The air conditioning job originally was quoted at $5,100, ended up being $6,200, of which he only held us responsible for $1,500. You say praise the Lord, because our lease, said, our lease says that we're totally responsible for everything. So if you do want to help contribute to that, that's fine. If the Lord puts that on your heart, and just make whatever amount that is out to first the kingdom and, and we'll take care of that. But I uh, just wanted to get that out there because I've had people texting me and calling me and saying, well, what about the air conditioning? How can we help? So that's out there. Let's all just stand one more time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I know you've been ministered to real well this morning, but almighty God, we just come before you. For you are a God of mercy. You are a God of grace. You are a God that forgives us of our sins. You remember them no more. But Lord, help us to stay on that pathway of righteousness, that road of holiness that you would have us go down. Because the temptations of this world, the temptations that we face, even from friends and relatives, get off course we need your strength we need the fellowship of one another to help us stay on that path for the eternal reward is, is far greater than anything our mind could even conceive right now we thank you for the healings that you've brought about 
not only in this body, but in churches everywhere. Lord, we ask that you continue to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, that you continue to guide us, Lord. Let us speak nothing but your word. Let us not get into the temptations of today's church, but let us be more like the church of 2,000 years ago and come boldly before that throne of grace. Let us lift up our supplications to you and let us rejoice in your answering our prayers, O Lord. Lord, we just thank you for the, the cross and everything that happened there. For your son that walked out of a tomb after three days and rose again to sit at your right hand. Oh, Lord, how precious is his sight. How precious is that Lord Jesus. Lord, we just thank you this morning. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning we're going to talk about the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship. It costs. costs more than most of you would even consider. I'm going to start in Luke chapter 14, reading from verse 25. If you have your Bibles, Luke 14, verse 25. Now the great multitudes went with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish? At least he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish. All who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build but was unable to finish. Or what king is going to make war against another king? Does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Pretty harsh words coming out of Jesus' mouth this morning. But if you remember the Great Commandment, or as some call it the Great Commission, out of Matthew chapter 28, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things, all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're commanded to make disciples of all people, church. We're not commanded to go and sing and set them down and have them say a sinner's prayer and send them on their way. We're to disciple them. Disciple them. And there's a cost to that. You're all familiar with the Gallup poll. You've heard plenty of those. Gallup poll this, Gallup poll that. Gallup poll says that 10% of evangelical Christians, only 10% could be called deeply committed. That's a frightening figure. 10% of all evangelical Christians. And then he goes on and he says, most who profess Christianity don't know the basic teachings. They don't act any different after experiencing a Christian-type experience. After, in other words, saying a sinner's prayer, saying I'm saved, calling themselves Christian, they act no different than they did before. George Barna, in his research, and we've talked about that plenty, said that almost half, 46%, of evangelicals read their Bible only once a week, if at all. How are you going to make a disciple out of that? To truly follow Jesus, we must consider the cost and put him above everything else. Salvation is both free, yet it costs you your very life. You freely receive salvation. It's a free gift. But once you've received it, you've committed everything you are and everything you have to Jesus. You may argue that's a contradiction. How can it be free and yet cost me everything? How can it be free? It cost me everything. Well, let's consider this. I had a friend when I lived up north in the Adirondacks. He was my sales manager at a Toyota dealership, but he was also my friend. And he had become a pilot. And he joined a thing called the Argyle Flying Club. And this club had a monthly dues but they owned three airplanes. And you could sign up to take out one of the planes anytime you wanted. You just had to pay for the fuel. So one day he asked me to go up and take me flying. Now I've been in a small plane before. I was in one of them planes with the wing over the top of the thing and the pilot sat in front of me and I sat behind him and he steered the thing with a stick and it had no doors on it so I was a little leery. <laughs> but he assured me this was a more modern plane and so up we went. It cost me nothing to go flying with him but yet it cost me everything. 
Because if he crashed, I died. If he didn't, I lived. So we can understand that there is a price. I entrusted my very life into his hands. So Jesus freely offers us the water of life to everybody that thirsts, all that want it. But when we receive his free offer, we are no longer our own. We've been bought for a price. Amen. Thus, to truly follow Christ, we must consider what it costs us. Otherwise, if we follow him superficially, which so many do, we'll just turn away when things get tough. Like they talked this morning, Brother Chris talked about the spiritual battles you're going to face. Well, the closer you chase God, the more closer you get to God, the more spiritual warfare you're going to get involved in. The devil doesn't want to turn you over to Jesus. He wants to keep you here. He doesn't want you in heaven. He doesn't want your eternal soul to be with Christ. So he's going to do whatever he can to take you down. And he's going to make it tough. But look at verse 25 we started with. Great multitudes were going along with him. I mean, we would like great multitudes. We'd love a great multitude in here. Thousand people, three services. I mean, we could just go on and on. Pastors that have these great multitudes, they write books, they preach all over the place. This society, they think the number is better. The bigger, the better. But Jesus, he didn't fall for that. He knew that most of those large crowds were there for some selfish reason, some superficial reason. Maybe they wanted to be healed and go. Maybe, you know, Jesus everywhere he went seemed to feed everybody. So maybe they wanted to eat. Who knows? I mean, when I used to go to Cooper City when I was down there, which is where I grew up, they had one Bible study on Sunday mornings. It was the only Bible study in the church that fed people. He would have bagels or donuts or something, and it got to be the biggest one. But the people were just there for the food. When he didn't have food one week, half the people left. So why do you follow Jesus? Because it's the cool thing to do? Because it makes you feel good? But are you really willing to pay the price that it takes to be his disciple? Jesus didn't go out and recruit people falsely. He didn't promise them things that he would never deliver. He didn't bait the hook to bring him in. 
He told them exactly the way it was. He turned to the great multitudes of people and he said to them, these are the demands of discipleship. Salvation is not just a decision that man makes, but it is a mighty power of God. It is the mighty power of God raising a dead soul into eternal life. That's what salvation is. Taking your dead soul and giving it a place in heaven. God who began a good work in you will perfect that work until the day of Christ. The new life God imparts on you results in a new way of life in accord with its nature, namely growth and holiness. If you're not growing in holiness, you're not really being discipled. If you're still falling back into the ways of the world, if that's still what brings you joy, then you're not really discipled. The seed of God's word is going to bear fruit into eternal life. Believers must grow as disciples. We may never perfectly arise in this life, but we will be in the next life. And if a person claims to be a believer, a person claims to be Jesus, a follower of Jesus, a disciple, then he needs to be growing in his obedience to God. Otherwise, he's just fooling himself. You're just deceiving yourself. He's saying, you know, Lord, Lord. And God's looking back and saying, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. Not a person in here wants to hear those words, yet people are going to hear those words because they're just superficially following Christ. They're not giving it all. Lord help us. There's people that are gonna walk out of this church and churches everywhere today, and within hour, gonna go right back to a sinful life. Right back to it. Paul says those who profess to know God but their deeds deny him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. Thus, is it possible to follow Christ superficially? Well, Jesus, again, lays out the cost of discipleship, and we must consider it. He says, first, we must hate our family and ourselves. And you say, well, the Bible says we're to love our families. No man has ever hated his own flesh. Is Jesus contradicting his own word? No. He throws that out of shock value. I mean, you know what I mean. You've all made comments to one another where you just want to shock them and get a reaction. 
We just say something to get a reaction from them. This is what Jesus is doing. He's trying to get us to stop and think about what we're doing and the demand that he's making. He means our allegiance, our love for him must be so great in comparison for our love for our families and our own lives that it seems like we hate them. Our love for Christ has got to be so much stronger than our love for our families, our love for ourselves. This is the point that Jesus is trying to make. I mean, you know as well as I do, tug of war is going to develop between family members. A tug of war is going to take place because some family members don't want to see you closely follow Christ. It'll change who you are. It'll change your relationship with them. But we have to remember not to cave in to the pressure, even the peer pressure of our friends. Because our so-called friends will so want to mislead us because they want us to be a certain way because it satisfies them. Because it satisfies what they believe. The same with our families. The same as with us chasing our flesh. We've got to love Jesus for who he is. But we've got to put him above everything else. Amen. He has to be above all. Amen. Such a tough, tough thing to do. Nobody said it's going to be easy. This is why Jesus is saying, understand what this is going to cost you. He didn't say the gate was narrow without a reason. You have to understand the cost. Are you willing to pay the price? You ladies that go shopping, you buy purses and bags and stuff, and you look at the price. Are you willing to pay it? If you are, you get it. But Jesus is saying the same thing to you. You have to put your love for me above all else. I have to be number one. You have to be obedient to me. Otherwise, it's not going to work. When he says we have to hate ourselves, he says he just means that in comparison to how we feel about him. The scriptures say that he gives us the desires of our hearts. He floods us with joys and pleasures. And he does if we truly follow him. He will make the most difficult situation go away. He will bring you peace in all kinds of times of trouble if you truly follow him. Because you know you want to bring him glory. Everything you do needs to bring him glory. 
Some of you need to think, what did I do over the weekend? Did what I do bring God glory? Or was I glorifying myself? This is what he's talking about. You have to think, think it through. Am I willing to pay the price that Jesus is asking? The second thing he talks about is we have to carry our own cross. What a tough thing to do. Carry our own cross. The cross is an implement of a slow and torturous death. Jesus here is looking for us to take a process of daily death to our selfish desires. And we all have those. We all have our selfish desires. But Jesus says, pick up your cross and just let them, those selfish desires, slowly die and fade away. The Savior, he suffered the rejection and the agony of the cross. If we follow him, we're going to get the same thing. You're going to be mocked by people. I mean, when I worked in Miami in this office, and there, there was one Christian in there, and then I got saved a while later out of a bunch of employees that were in there. They mocked us all the time. I mean, they made fun of us all the time. But then they saw that when we worked, we got bonuses, things were flowing our way. But they mocked us. They mocked our lifestyle. They mocked the things we do. I mean, they're all going out to the club. They're all going to work. Where are you guys going? And we're going home. We're going to go do this. <laughs> you know what it's like. You, some of you have been mocked in your workplace for your beliefs. So this is what Jesus is saying. People are going to criticize you. They're going to abuse you because you're a Christian. What do you mean you're a Christian? Let's go party. No. I don't do that. Let's go to bed. Let's have sex. No, I don't do that. We're not married. No. And they mock you because the world goes the other way. Everything is acceptable in this world. There are no boundaries out there. But Jesus lays down the boundaries. And he said, if you're going to follow me and you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to live within these bounds. Peter tells us that we should never do anything to provoke persecution. But if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we must entrust our souls to our faithful creator in doing what is right. Remember, God is always going to take care of you. You are his children. He picked you guys up. He picked you guys out 
He personally hand chose you. Again, this is just a process that we have to grow in. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but it's something that you're going to grow in. I mean, the first time people start mocking you and making fun of you and trying to get you to do something that you really know you shouldn't be doing, it's going to be very difficult on you. To stand up for what you believe is going to be tough. To stand up for your faith is going to be hard. That's what Jesus says. Take up your cross. Be ready for it. Then the next thing he says is, we must give up all our possessions. Oh, here we go. We got to give up everything. You got to realize you don't own anything. That car you drive, that house you live in, the clothes on your back, they all belong to God. Amen. He just lets you be the steward over them. You are the steward over those. None of those are yours. He has something way better for you when you get to eternity. But nothing belongs to you. Even that phone that you spend so much time on doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. So is what on it? Honoring God? Because if not, you better delete the stuff. you got to remember, God sees everything. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows that. Some of you he's pleased with, some he's not. Some he knows he's got to grow a little more. you got to do this, you got to do that. But Jesus is trying to make a point that you can't serve two gods. You can't serve two masters. It's either God or mammon. It's either God or mammon. Some people like to serve their money. There's nothing wrong with money unless it's used evilly. Unless it becomes a desire of your heart where you chase it. And I know people that do that, chase money. When I worked in Miami, I mean, I met some real gold diggers. These ladies could tell you whether the guy's wearing handmade leather shoes from Italy. They could tell you where they paid for their haircuts where they got their jeans, what their clothes were worth, just by looking at them. Well, I'm not going out with him. Those are store-bought shoes. Oh, no, those are handmade. Those are $800 each. This guy's got some money. So what do they serve? They're serving money. Mm -hmm. Money becomes a root of all evil at that point. And it will destroy you. 
It will take you down. There is no way you're getting into heaven worshiping that. Just not going to happen. That's what Jesus is saying. Give up all your possessions. Give up all your possessions. I'll supply all your needs. I will supply all your needs, God says. I'm not going to leave you without anything. I'm not going to leave you wanting for nothing. I will bring you comfort in times of trouble. I will bring you joy in times of sadness. I will raise up your health when needed. I will put food on your table when I have to. This is what Jesus is saying. Trust me. So we must consider the cost of following Jesus. Are you ready to pay that price to be his disciple? And this is what Jesus said with these multitudes. Because he knew they were just there. They were just there. If you look around today, and you look at how many people probably attend church just in Broward County alone today, then you wonder why things are the way they are. Why is there still homelessness? Why is there still hunger? Why is there still people starving in the streets? Because the people attending those churches are not disciples. They're just part of a large multitude looking to get whatever they can get. Which is the reason some people go to church. Not to give, but to get. You gotta understand, this church belongs to you. What it does is whatever you want it to do. How you're represented in the community depends on how you want to be represented in the community. So people are going to ridicule us. And then we're going to be in spiritual warfare. Because we're going to chase after God and Satan's not going to like that. I mean, he actually loves it when he can ruin one of your testimonies. When he can ruin your testimony. Because your testimony is all you have. And when Satan can destroy that, he's killed you. He's destroyed you. And that's his job. To seek and destroy. To kill. So the cost of following Jesus is like that of the salt. If we're following right, that's good. But if not, we become tasteless. We become a waste. We need to just be discarded. We just evaporate into nothing. We become worthless, like salt that's left out, and they throw away. Jesus is saying that if a follower of his doesn't live life as he ought to live it, 
is useless to God. Can you imagine that spending so many years chasing after God, so many years sitting in pews everywhere around and not bearing any fruit at all? You're absolutely useless to God. Useless. Some may bear fruit in one way, others bear fruit in different ways. Not everybody is one of those type of people that can knock on somebody's door and talk about salvation and Jesus. Other ones just see a friend in need and offer a prayer. It's still fruit. It's still fruit. There's all kinds of fruit. They said the Garden of Eden had over 1,200 kinds of variety of food and fruit. So there's got to be multitudes of different fruit and different ways of giving your fruit. Some of you are gifted in one area, others are gifted in another. Some of you, your, your fruit is just a, a smile for that really nasty boss that you all have. You know, the one that comes in every Monday and tells you, if you don't do this by Friday, you're fired. And I've worked for those. Where you had to hit a certain number by Friday, or you were gone. I worked at one car dealership for exactly one and a half hours. <laughs> wow. I had been selling I had been selling cars for a lot of years. So I went into this dealership and you see the back in the day, the cars are parked and the salesmen are bent over, crouching down in between cars. So when a customer come up, they jump up and run and grab it. And I said, Well, this isn't for me. But then we had a sales meeting. And the sales manager comes out and he says, good morning, how are all my little whores today? Wow. He said, you're nothing more than floor whores to me. No better than the money you made yesterday. That's mm -hmm. over. What are you going to make for me today? And I just got up out of that meeting and went home. But somebody and there might have been a fruit. So we all know there's people out there that are going to persecute you. We all know there's people out there that are going to make you suffer. We all know there's people out there that do not want you to follow Jesus. And they will do whatever they can to take you off that course. They will give you lousy advice. They will teach you things that are not of God. You all know the first psalm, read it. Listen to the wise. So if we want to follow Jesus, we have to follow him. We have to worship him. People don't come in here and worship me. 
They don't come in here and worship Chris. They don't come in here and worship Pete, Pam, Chris, Brother Chris. No. They worship Jesus. Amen. Because if they're worshiping any one of us, we become a cult. But if they come in here and they pour their hearts out to God and say, Lord, just I stumbled a little this week, but next week I'm going to do better. Next week I'm going to follow you more. Next week I'm going to surrender a little bit more to you. Because surrendering some stuff is tough sometimes. That's why if I get a Bentley, I know it's God's, not mine. I won't be able to claim it anyway, so why have it? Just give me a car that gets me back and forth where I gotta go. Amen. I told Rose I wanted a motorcycle. She looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> you wanna die? <laughs> yes, a Harley. I mean, 72 years old, it's a good time to have your first motorcycle, right? <laughs> but when Jesus spoke these words to this multitude, just like he speaks them to you today, they become very sober. You have to understand, this is a commitment on your part. This is going to cost you everything to follow Jesus. You have to decide, do I really want to do this or don't I? Well, if you really want to follow Jesus, then some of us need to change our lifestyles. Some of us need to change our attitudes. What did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So you have to remember those things. I mean, we're going to fall short. We all do. Scripture says, for all of sin fall short the glory of God. So we're going to hit shortcomings. We're going to hit obstacles. We're going to get involved in some spiritual warfare. But this is why you have each other. You guys need to find somebody accountable that you can call. Someone that is at least on the same plane as you in your spiritual life or maybe above you in your spiritual life. That you can reach out to and say, hey, I'm struggling today. I need your prayers. You don't have to get into much, but you need to hold each other accountable. Because I know you guys all love each other. I mean, we may have battles here and there, and we may have little wars between us, but we love each other. Amen. So one of the things that most of us have to change to get used to spending more time in God's Word 
spending more time in God's Word. I know some of you get devotions every day, and that's great. And you read God's Word every day, but there's others of you that do not. I mean, if you get the app that we have, the Bible's on the app. You can put it on the Bluetooth in your car and, and just listen to Scripture as you drive. Get into God's Word. Spend more time. God didn't write the Bible as a book. It is a living manuscript of how to live your life. Amen. We're going to talk about that because I've got a feeling a lot of you don't believe the Bible. A lot of so-called Christians today do not believe the Bible. I don't know how you can be a Christian without believing it, but from what I'm reading, from the research I'm seeing, they're saying that a lot of people do not believe in God's Word. Now, I know people pick and choose. I mean, every man in the place knows the scripture. Wives, love your husbands. And that's all they remember of it. I mean, there's a whole lot that follows that. But, you know, most men being short in the memory category kind of forget the rest. It says, love your husbands as Christ loved the church. Men are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. And Christ came for the church. So wives, submit to your husbands, but husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So really, that whole scripture is all about the man and how he's to care for his wife. So learning God's word. People, this world is coming. You've got to fellowship with God every day. God has to become your best friend. He has to be more important than anything you know. It has to be all about God when you wake up. It's got to be all about God when you go to bed. Because if you pray before you go to sleep, God's going to protect your mind as you dream. So we need to spend time in his word. We need to spend time in prayer. Because that's how you talk to him. And we have to do our devotions. You have to have fellowship with him. You can't allow any relationship, earthly relationship you have with anyone to draw you away from Christ and your relationship with Christ. You just can't. You can't have anybody take you away from the obedience to God. You need to be obedient to him. Amen. It says that we have to 
confess our sins. Because God will forgive us of our sins. And people always say, well, God knows what I did. Why do I have to confess it? Because God wants to hear it come out of your mouth. Because when you speak it, you hear it. And God knows that you're real in your forgiveness. God has a plan. God has a thought for each and every one of you. And for some of you, it's a lot different than what you have for yourself. Some of you really cheat yourselves in your dreams and your thoughts and your desires. God has so much more for you. Don't cut yourself short. Because God didn't pick you and put you on a pedestal to have you cut your dreams short and settle. You have to hate your own life. Your own life in the flesh. You have to hate all those fleshly desires that you have and pick up that cross and let those torment just die. Let all those fleshly desires just die. You have to surrender to, to the Lord your finances and your possessions. I mean, God gave you the money you have. God can take it away. You don't do the right thing, you might find yourself getting a pay cut or becoming unemployed. You find yourself doing the right thing with your with your finances and what God tells you to do. I mean, if you're going to buy something, then pray, Lord. What do you say? Do I buy this or don't I? God will give you an answer. Trust God with your finances. Trust God with your possessions. He gave them to you anyway. They're His. Ask him how to use it. He can manage things better than you can. I mean, he actually created you. So I think he knows what he's doing. Don't let the love of money choke out what God has planned for you. Don't let your love of money Ruin your love of God. Remember, salvation is absolutely free. But it's going to cost you everything if you really want it. We must consider the cost. We must put him above everything else. He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear. Amen. Let's stand. First Timothy 3.16, it says this. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed in the world, and received up to glory. You say amen.
Amen. Amen. I want to pray for people this morning. We want to we want to pray for everybody that whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're going through today, we want you to walk out of here with a with a feeling of peace. That God's peace is on you. Surrender it to the Lord. Come, I surrender. come down. Don't walk out of here with a struggle on your heart. I Don't walk out of here. Surrender it all to Christ that she sent. my soul. Mercy and grace unfold. I hunger and thirst. I hunger and
Redeemer, leave.